He's on his knees with his creator and he's trying to pastor a church from the heart of Jesus. He's been married to, for 32 years. He's got two sons who are both married and he's a man who has invested his entire life in the church of Jesus Christ here and all over the world. And he happens to be a board of trustees member of Liberty. So why don't you welcome back uh, from First Baptist Church, Springdale, Arkansas, Dr. Ronnie Floyd. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the worship today. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous songs. Today, if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to look with me into the 54th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter number 54. On October the 21st of this year, the New York Times published an article that was written in London concerning the global economic situation. The article was somewhat surprising because in that culture, the real gist of the article was that could it be that the coming global recession, if indeed we are in a global recession, could it be that it would help return us in the world to more traditional values? Of course, the article was filled with a gloom and tomb, and it was not a pleasant article to read in many ways, but it summarized in the basic understanding, could it be that the coming economic collapse, if indeed it is coming, could it be used to bring us to back to more traditional values? Is it not interesting that in our world today, including in that article, words like grim and dismal and distress and recession and depression are literally being bombarded and literally uh, coming into our minds every day from every media that we see and every media that we read. I have a question for you today, and it is a sincere question, and I hope a provocative question for you. As a Christ follower, is my future any more promising? I mean, think about it with me today, students. With all that you're hearing, you're not hearing a lot of good things. You're not seeing a lot of good things. The forecast is not the most favorable. In fact, it's very unfavorable if indeed it is reality. But it's a Christ follower, and that's what many of you are here today. You're born-again followers of Jesus Christ. Is your future any more promising? I mean, sometimes when I hear that and I see that, it makes me wonder what do we do? Do we stop doing everything for the next five years? Do we stop dreaming? Do we stop imagining? 
I mean, think about it. Here you are about to enter the moment of your life, the moment that you prepared to go into, and everybody tells you it's not going to be good. All that you've worked for, can you get a job once you graduate? Will the money be there to let you come back even next semester because mom and dad are struggling financially due to these matters? I mean, the list could go on and on. But sometime when I hear that, what do we do? Do we stop dreaming? Do we stop imagining? Do we stop visioneering? Well, I want to tell you today, I don't think we have to do that. May I remind every one of you today, God is on the throne. Jesus is Lord. God is on your side. God is with you. Remember that. Greater is he, the Lord Jesus, who is in me than he who is in the world. Today I want to talk to you about how to grow. How to grow. I mean, can you really grow anything in the world today with the world's condition? I want to challenge you today and say to you, Yes, you can. If you would, look with me into God's Word, into Isaiah 54. Let me read just a few verses here in the opening part of the chapter. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Bring forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad uh, to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded. For you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth, the reproach of your widowhood, you will remember your no more. What does all that mean today? Here is Isaiah the prophet just telling us about this vision that God gave him about the Lord Jesus, the coming Messiah hanging on the cross in one of the greatest chapters in all of God's Word is the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. But then he gives us a glimpse of some promises that we know that we can have in the 54th chapter of Isaiah. You see, once Christ was raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit was ushered in to the world and literally began to live within the lives of born-again believers. At that same moment, he began and he birthed what we would call the church of Jesus Christ. In that whole experience of being a part of the church of Jesus Christ, God has given us many promises from his word. Let me tell you today some great news. Some great news that I believe today can literally impact your life and also impact your future. May I ask you that question again? As a Christ follower, 
Is my future any more promising? The people of God were in exile. They were everywhere. Jerusalem was in trouble. In verse number one, he talks about that. And the reason I know today that your future is more promising as a Christ follower is because of this thing. And you listen carefully. Because verse 1 teaches us one thing. God is coming. God is coming. The Scripture says that the city of Jerusalem, the people of God, will appear and look as if they are desolate. It will look as if they are disgraced and ashamed. And notice this final word he uses. He calls them destitute, meaning that the people of God will come to a day and an hour when they will live without the necessities of life. He compares them, God's people, with a woman who cannot have children. And he says that this woman who, has chil- who cannot have children, she is barren. And society in many ways in that day and time would pronounce her as disgraced because she was not able to have children. He said, you are like a barren woman who appears to not be able to have children. She is not in the favor of people. And some would even say not in the favor of of God. However, he tells us to begin to do something as the people of God when things are tough in our lives. He tells us to start singing. Now think about that. Here are things all bad. The worst time of your life, you imagine it. You lost your girlfriend. You failed a test. You thought you were going to be able to make it. You thought you were going to graduate a year ago and you didn't. All kind of things can begin to happen. In the whole process, he tells us, in the worst of times, start singing. In the worst of times, he tells us, start praying. In the worst of times, he tells us to do something else. He says to start weeping tears of joy. Now, how can a person do that? Because he declares something. God is coming. God is going to invade your situation in a supernatural and a powerful way. He uses Sarah as an example. Here was Sarah, this barren woman who was not able to have children. Here she was in her elderly age, and all of a sudden God gave her a child. And that child, through that child, Isaac, all of the nations would be blessed. His children would be blessed, and their children would be blessed, and their children would be blessed. Why is that? Because God is coming. What does that mean to you in your life? That means that there is not one situation in your life that is so dismal that God cannot change. There is not one moment in your life, in your family, in your academic journey that is so bad that through God, it cannot change. God is 
coming. And because God is coming, Isaiah continues on in verse 2. And he says, because God is coming, listen to what he says, plan for God. Did you get that? Because God is coming, plan for God. How do you plan for God? Well, he talks about that. He says, if you don't plan for God to come, then God will not come. If you do not make room for God to come, then God will not be able to come. It reminds me of the story that Jesus told about the wineskins. You remember the story, many of you? He said those brittle wineskins that are now so rigid and inflexible, if you were to pour new wine in those wineskins, they would break. They would, and why would Jesus say, why would we ever pour new wine in old wineskins? What that means theologically is why would I ever give or why would he ever give grace to someone who is so bound by the law, who, who it would literally bust up the law and all of their legalism, the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ when the body of Christ is so rigid and inflexible. Well, the great news here is that Isaiah is using somewhat the same understanding. He is saying, because God is coming, we need to plan for God. And if we don't plan for God to come, then how do we ever expect God to come in our situations? Now, young people, listen today. Many of you are going to leave this place one day, and you're going to start your own business. Others of you will go to work for corporate America. Many of you will be going into ministry and missions. Some will go into the medical profession or the educational profession. Some of you will go into politics. What I'm going to tell you over the next 10 or 15 minutes here on this couple of verses of Scripture, I'm telling you, you can use for the rest of your life. So sit up and listen and be very, very understanding of what I'm going to tell you. You see, what I'm going to give you today is how to plan for God to come. And I'm going to give you what we would call principles of growth. There are four in this text. They are simple, but I'm telling you, it's the secret on how to grow a university. It's the secret on how to grow a family. It's the secret on how to grow your life your life. And listen, you can't expect everything you touch in life to grow if you yourself are not growing. It's the secret on how to grow a business, how to grow a ministry, you name it. These four principles of growth are for everyone in this room today. What does Isaiah teach us? Well, it all starts with the principle of what we call prepare. Prepare. That's what Isaiah was saying. Prepare for God to come. Prepare for God to come. Do you realize that preparation is the key to almost everything you do in your life? Did you know that if you prepare little, you get little. But if you prepare a lot, you get a lot. Some years ago, I taught a Bible study for all of the coaches of the University of Arkansas during football season. Every Thursday, I would go down and I would teach those men. In the whole process of that, I learned a lot, so much about a lot of things. But in that, I always walked in and here they were in a dark room. Many of them had been there all night long watching film. 
watching what their opponents would do and how their opponents would react and how they would respond in certain situations. I'm telling you, all of their week is given to preparation, all for the simplicity of about a three-hour execution that depends at that moment little on them and everything on those playing the game. Well, you know what? That same thing is true about your life. If you don't prepare, then you won't get hardly anything in your life. That's what Isaiah says. And the great benefit you have in your life is you can prepare because God is coming. And you've got to prepare to the point where you can enlarge your life. Now listen carefully. Isaiah uses an illustration that we would not necessarily understand in, in our generation, but he uses the illustration of a tent. Now, I'm not a camper, and I'm not the son of a camper, so I don't know a lot about tents, but I know enough about tents to be able to tell you a few things about that today. Let me, let me say that there is a second principle here that Isaiah gives, and it is the principle to enlarge. Enlarge. Notice what he says here. Enlarge the place of your tent. Enlarge the place of your tent. And let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Enlarge. Enlarge. God wants you to enlarge your life. He wants you to enlarge your vision. He wants you to understand the principle of enlargement. You see, what many of us do, if we are not willing to enlarge, we are limiting God. You don't need to limit God. What he is saying is plan for God to come. Plan for God to come. Plan for the Lord to do something mighty in your life. Surely you're not here getting an education for four or five or six years here, whatever it takes you to get through. Surely you're not getting here so you can go out and fail. Nobody wants to fail. Surely you're not getting all that you are doing and being involved in all that you're doing, paying the price that you're paying so that one day you can end up losing in life you're not here to lose. You're not here to fail. You're here to prepare. But you know one of the experiences of this university in your life is to enlarge. It is enlarging you. Relationships enlarge you. The vision of Liberty University enlarges you. I told those who were with me the story back in 1989, I believe, was my first exposure to Liberty University I brought a man by the name of J.B. Hunt with me who owned J.B. Hunt Transport. You see their trucks all over. He was a member of my church before he went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. I remember when my wife and I and Mr. and Mrs. Hunt were with Dr. Falwell. He took us to the top of Liberty Mountain. And at the top of Liberty Mountain, you got to dial back, 1989, there wasn't a lot here. And he began to articulate visionary this, 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 and this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen, and all of these things. He was planning to enlarge the tent. And you're the product of that. You see, there are so many people in your life that you're the product of their enlargement. I want to encourage you. Lengthen. Stretch out. 
the paraphrased edition that Peterson writes says, clear the ground. Get ready for God to come. Stop limiting God. Stop being so rigid. Stop not believing that God can do something. God can do something in your life, and you've got to believe that. And God can take you with an ordinary ability and do something extraordinary through your life. God doesn't look for great people. God looks for humble people. God looks for willing people. God looks for available people. And God is looking for you today in that same manner. Well, prepare, enlarge, and then deepen. Deepen. You have to deepen your life. You see, it's not simply about growth numerically or growth statistically or growth by building more buildings, for example, or growth in climbing corporate America's ladder. No, no, you have to deepen the pegs. So you take the ropes, and he said, pull the ropes. And then you take the pegs, and you deepen the pegs. Because the deeper the pegs are, the greater the tent stability will be. And it will be able to contain the enlargement that has occurred in the tent. The same is true about your life. Do you, want to, do you know one of the reasons so many American businesses are struggling today? Because they got on a growth cycle. And they grew and they grew and they grew and they grew and they grew. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't deepen. They didn't stop long enough to deepen. And because they didn't stop long enough to deepen, now many of them are in jeopardy of losing all of their growth. And that same thing will happen in your life if you're not careful. In your future, if you're not careful, you have got to not only be about the growth of of more and more and more, you've got to grow deeper. Deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Deeper in the core values of who you are. Deeper about what really matters in life. And today you may think that you're trying to figure it all out and, and perhaps you may think you have most of the answers to that. But I can tell you this, you will never be able to go as far as God wants you to go until you learn to deepen your life. And students, listen, there's a lot of things in life that can deepen you. Being around the right people can deepen you. Being around great organizations can deepen you. Principles that you can follow can deepen you. But let me tell you today the greatest way you can deepen your life. You establish a commitment one time a day to spend as much time as possible with God. Only God is ultimately be able to be the one to deepen your life. I mean, listen... When I think about where I am in life today and the way the Lord has blessed me and the way the Lord has come upon my life and given me so many wonderful opportunities, listen, man, I am from Yoakum, Texas. Nobody even knows where Yoakum, Texas is. I grew up in a church of 30 to 40 people. My dad and my mom didn't graduate from high school. I want to tell you, it's an amazing thing of what the Lord he does with people who are willing to just deepen their lives and who are willing to walk with him and be available with him. So you can't let your culture stop you. 
You can't let even your family quench you. Do not limit what God may want to do through your life. Prepare. Enlarge. Deepen. And when you do that, you know what Isaiah says? He says you can then expect. You can expect. For you will spread abroad, Isaiah says. In other words, when you do those first three things well, when you prepare, when you enlarge, and you deepen, when you do those well, then you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. What does it mean to spread abroad? That means that growth will occur. Growth of enlargement, growth in depth, growth of everything around you. God will bless you immeasurably. Well, why is that possible? Against all odds, it can happen. Why can it happen against all odds? Because God is coming, and we need to plan for God. You know, in our day and time, there is such pessimism and negativism. It makes me want to throw up. I'm telling you, it is so poor. People are so down on one another and down on life. And one day when you're leading and you're out here dealing with parents or you're out here dealing with other colleagues, you're going to find out how negative of thinking exists in this world. Zig Ziglar called it stinking thinking. And you know what? There's a lot of stinking thinking going on in our culture today. And quite honestly, I don't know hardly any of you in this room today. There's probably a lot of stinking thinking in here. Negative about this and don't like this and don't like that and wish that liberty would do more and wish that this could be better at home and wish that your circumstances were better. Wish you had more money. Wish, 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 wish. It's all stinking thinking. If you will learn to prepare and you will learn to enlarge and you will learn to deepen, Isaiah said you clear the path, you get out of the way because God is going to come and God is going to move mightily in your life and you can expect for God to come. Are you expecting God to come? I mean, how many of you are expecting God to come? How many of you are expecting for the Lord to do something supernaturally in your life to take you with your limited giftedness and all of a sudden do extraordinary things through your life. That's what this is about. You say, oh, Ronnie, I'm not sure that's possible for me. I promise you it's possible for you. Guess what? You expect nothing. You know what? You get nothing. I hold in my hand today a technological device. It's a wireless device. I bought it in May. It's called an Amazon Kindle. If you'll go to Amazon.com, you can learn about the Kindle. Do you realize in less than one minute, you can download a book? 190,000 books. Anywhere you are in the world where you can get a sales signal. 190,000 books as of this morning you can download on this book. This book, this will contain at least 100 books. You can also download up to 19 national and international newspapers. Every day I get the Wall Street Journal here. It's downloaded right here for me to read. Also Newsweek, Time, 
other magazines will come right here. Think about it. All on this little device. I mean, it simply goes in your briefcase. No longer do you have to fill a briefcase or a purse with books. All in this. And it's readable. I was at the beach this summer with my wife, and you know what? The sun didn't hurt it. I mean, I could just sit there and read, and she was flipping pages. The wind was blowing, and she was jealous, and it was wonderful. And I read several books on it this summer. Why do I use this as an example today? Because somebody in life thought of this. What are you going to think of? What are you going to do? And even as great as this, listen to me. This, this is nothing compared to this. And your future is this if you don't want to do much. Your future is this, all of God's promises, if you're willing to prepare, enlarge, deepen, and expect. Look for God to come. You know what he said? He said, when you do this, he said, listen to this. God is coming, plan for God, and listen to this third thing, fear not the future. Fear not the future. That's what he says right in the book, is it not? Fear not, for you will not be ashamed anymore, and you will not be disgraced anymore, and you will not be uh, confused anymore. And, and, and even in the worst of times, I'm going to take care of you, God is saying. Fear not the future. There are many of you here today, you are very fearful of the future. There are many of you, you're fearful of a lot of things. The future can be frightening if you keep your eyes on the wrong thing. Fear not the future. It's time that you stop letting your fear paralyze you. The fear of failure. The fear of not being accepted. The fear of not making it through school. The fear of not being able to come back. The fear of not having a job once you graduate. The fear of whether or not I'm going to be successful in life. Isaiah says, for those who know Yahweh God, God is coming. You plan your life like he's coming. You expect for him to come. And there will be no need, no need, absolutely no need to fear the future. Don't fear it. There's fear all over this auditorium today. And in the name of Jesus and above the authority of the word of God, I stand against every moment of fear, every feeling of fear, every attitude of fear, because let me tell you today, my friend, you don't need to fear. God did not give you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do not fear the future. 
And it doesn't matter how doomsday the forecasting is. Forget it. You let it go in one ear. You listen to what's applicable. You're changing your life to what needs to be changed to guarding it. But you keep your eyes on the Lord. You keep your heart in the Word of God. And you keep believing and you keep believing and you keep believing. Many of you, your grandparents would sit down with you. Some of them, they were, they were children. Most of even your grandparents would have been children, I mean, like babies during the Depression. There might be a few exceptions if you have a grandparent who's 90 years of age or older. And they might actually remember the vivid pictures of standing in line for something to eat. And unemployment lines, long, 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 all throughout major places in the world. That appeared to be the legacy of that generation. May I appeal to you today that in our generation, let's let our legacy be that we are going to have living faith. In other words, put it this way, that we can make living history with living faith. And you know what? When it's all said and done, when it's written and it's over in my life and over in your life, I mean, don't you want it said of you? Man, I'm telling you, when the times turned bad there in 2008 and following in America, man, there was a generation. There, there might not a lot of them, but there was a generation who kept believing, who kept dreaming, who kept imagining, who did not fear the future. And they demonstrated a, a vivacious, alive faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that has carried us even to this day. That needs to be our legacy. So I close with this question today. As a Christ follower, is my future any more promising? The answer to that, yes. Why? If God is for me, then who can be against me? Our Father, we're thankful for these students today and their love for Christ. And we pray today for them. We pray that you will remove the fear. We pray that you will build great leaders and great servant leaders all throughout the thousands of them that are here today. And I pray for many of them to prepare for God to come. That in the midst of their limitations, God is going to do something greater than they've ever imagined. For them to enlarge and to deepen and then to expect you to do something. And because of that, Lord, they will have no fear. I bless you in the name of Jesus today for these students. 
Give them everything they need in these final days here on this semester and in this semester. And may our God be praised. And may we know that whatever goes on in life, God is with us. And if God is with us, then who can be against us? Amen. Students, have a great Thanksgiving. God bless you.